0: And speaking of having another year of life, if you're like me, you start every year off, every January, thinking about your summer body. You start out thinking every year, this is going to be my year. This is the year where I'm going to turn this Pillsbury Doughboy into the Greek god Atlas, and we're going to look amazing. We're going to look phenomenal. And gyms capitalize on this stuff. You know, every January gyms sign up people for these one year contracts and they know that they got you right where they want you because they know that you and me are only going to use about six weeks of that. They know that we're not going to be there very long, but they sign us up for a year. They give us that discounted rate and they suck us in the door. Now, because of COVID and because of all that stuff, some of you have gone old school and gone back to the videos. You dusted off your P90X and your insanity. If you're really old, you dusted off your Richard Simmons and your Jane Fonda. Hope I didn't offend anybody with that one right there. Maybe even some Tybo. if you got Billy Banks, Billy Blanks. I can't remember his name. But either way, you dusted all that stuff off with the goal of, hey, I'm going to get myself back in shape. But it always seems like something happens, right? It always seems like that somewhere in that process, somewhere between January and summertime, Our summer body just does not come to fruition. Or is that just me? Am I the only one that that happens to? Have you ever felt like that in your spiritual life? Have you ever started the year off thinking to yourself, this is going to be the year that I pray more. This is going to be the year that I dive into God's word. This is going to be the year that I grow and I mature spiritually. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek his face. And then you find yourself usually right around the same time uh, that you give up on your summer body dream. You give up on this idea of I'm going to get through this year and I'm going to be a spiritual giant by the end of it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about this idea of how can we go from January when we make these when we make these commitments? How can we get from January where we have these thoughts about who we're going to be in the summer? How can we get from January to bringing those things to fruition And a message that I'm titling my summer body as we continue on in the series, Summer Baggage, ensuring that we only take what we need as we go through this summer. Because, again, a summer is a time where we like to disconnect. It's a time where we disconnect from God and from his people. Uh, we can disconnect from his word and from prayer. And we want to make sure that as you go throughout this summer, you take the things that you need, that you're taking God, his word, his people and prayer with you as you go. Now, today, today. We're going to be in First Corinthians chapter nine. That's where we're going to be studying from. And while you turn there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a synopsis about what's happening in First Corinthians nine. We're about to read about the Apostle Paul, who is telling the church in Corinth about all the things that he had to give up to pursue the call of God on his life. He's about to lay out for them how he was how he was a Pharisee among Pharisees and how he was from the tribe of Benjamin and how he had a right to earn um, a living for what he was doing by sharing the gospel. But he, t- he chose to turn all of that down so that he could reach the people that God had called him to reach. He chose to pursue his calling at all costs. At one point, I believe it's verse 22, where he says that he became all things to all people so that by some means he may reach some In verse 16, he makes the statement, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I mean, think about that. He was so passionate about his call to preach the gospel that he said the statement, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, if I don't fulfill this call. So we have this man, Paul, this apostle. This man whose name was Saul, who was persecuting Christians and killing Christians. And then he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter with the Lord and that encounter changed his life forever. And now we find him some years later and he's writing back to a church that he helped start. He's writing back to this church and he's talking to them about counting the cost and giving their all. For God. And we're going to start reading in verse 24 today. If you, so if you have your Bible and you can go ahead and turn there, we're in first Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24. If you're there, just say, I'm there. All right, let's get started. In verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Verse 26 says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, again, the Apostle Paul talking here. And here's the big idea that I want you to catch today. How you run this race matters. It matters how you run the race. I want you to think about that as we go throughout this message, just thinking about The way I run really does matter. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that you've given us together today. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, uh, that we would apply your word to our lives, that we would use it to glorify you, Lord, and that you would have your way in our lives, in our hearts, and in this message, in this service today. And we praise you for it, Lord Jesus, in your precious name we pray, amen, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back through these verses and we're going to break this down a little bit just to see how we can figure out how to run this race to the best of our ability. Because, again, how we run really does matter. So if we go back to verse 24, we're just going to start there and we're going to break it down a little bit. The Apostle Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So think about this. We are all in a race. We're all in a race. We're all headed somewhere in every race has a destination and every race comes with a prize. Only certain ones win that prize. But guess what? In the race that you are in, if you run it well, the Lord has a prize waiting for you. He does. He has a prize just for you. So you are in this race and you need to run it well. Just like all of the other runners in the race, we have a calling to run this race. But here's the deal. Our races are all a little different. We we may be all heading to the same destination, but our races are a little different you're not going to be held accountable to run your race the way that Paul ran his because you're not called to do what Paul was called to do. You're not even going to be held accountable to run your race the way that God has called myself or Pastor Brian to run ours, because you're not called to do what we're called to do unless you are called to do what we're called to do. And then you need to step into it and do it. Right. But if you're not called to that, you're not going to be held accountable to run that race. But you are going to be held accountable to run the race that you've been called to. And I want to encourage you, church, to make sure that as you're running the race that God has specifically given you, that you run that race with excellence. Now, you remember our value of excellence. We have seven values. Can you tell me what they are? Who knows our seven values? Right. We want to reach people. That's the first one. We want to grow people. We want to be generous. We want to have community. We want to encourage people. We want to do things with excellence. And we always want to dream big. So excellence is one of our values. And that value of excellence, our definition of it is Giving God our very best in obedience to him over time. And that's what this running this race is all about. It's about us giving God our very best in obedience to him over time. We want him to know that we're running this race faithfully, that we're giving him all that we have. Like we talked about what Paul in 1 Corinthians nine, this whole chapter, he's talking about all that he gave. He counted the cost. He said, I became all things to all people so that by some means I may reach some of them. And that's what God is expecting of us. He wants us to run this race with excellence. He said, do you not know that all the runners in a race run to receive a prize? We are running for that prize. And the way that we get to the prize that God has for us is by running our race with excellence. And so I want to challenge you again today to run your race with excellence, to pursue it with all that you have. You know, there is a story in Scripture. Jesus gives this parable. We refer to it as the parable of the talents. And it's interesting that there, the parable is actually using the word talents to talk about a denomination of money or a type of currency. But I think it's interesting that the word talents is what's used there, because oftentimes it's really what we're talking about. And in that parable, Jesus talks about this master who's about to go away on a journey. And before he goes away on his journey, he has three men who are under him. He gives, gives each one of them a certain number of talents. To one man, he gives 10 talents, to another one, five, and to the third man, he gives one talent. See, they all each had a different amount that was given to them. So what was expected in return was different. You catch where I'm going with this. So uh, so the man, the master, gives them all different amounts of talents. And the man with 10 talents, he goes out and he invests his talents and he he invests them wisely. And then he reaps a reward. He reaps a benefit. He gets a return on that investment. The same thing for the man with five talents. He goes out and he invests them wisely and they earn interest and he gets a, a reward and he reaps the return on that investment. But the man with one talent, he took his talent and he buried it in the ground. He hid it. And when the master came back and they're all ready to turn in what they've gained, you have the man with 10 who says, master, look what I have gained for you. This is doubled. I have so much more to give back to you because of what you gave to me. And the man with five kind of goes through the same process. And this is the Pastor J paraphrase. This isn't word for word. So work with me here. And then the man with one talent comes back and says, hey, master, I knew you were a shrewd master and I didn't want to upset you by losing your talent. So I just kind of hid it in the ground. I just buried it, didn't use it. I just hid it there so that I could give you back what you gave me when you return. The master is furious with him to the man with the 10 talents. He takes the one talent. He gives that to the man, that man as well. He says, well done, you good and faithful servant. You brought a return on my investment. I'm going to give you even more. And so the man with 10 talents and the man with five who brought that return on investment, the master gave them even more. He gave them abundance. He welcomed them into what he had. The man with only one talent, it says that he was cast into outer darkness, like the master was so furious with him because he did not use what he had been given. And church, there's a challenge for us in that. Are we sitting around just waiting for the Lord to return, not using what he's given us? Or do we have talents? Do we have gifts? Has God blessed us with something? Has he called us and gifted us with something that we could be using for his glory? But instead, we're just holding on to it and waiting and sitting around and waiting for him to return so that when we stand before him, we can say, hey, Lord, I made it to you. And I didn't waste anything that you gave me. I just kind of kept it to myself. But I'm so glad you're here. How do you think that conversation is going to go? We'll jump into that a little bit more in just a moment. But I just want to put that thought in your head. You need to use what God has given you. You need to run this race with excellence. And the only way that you can do that is if you fully use what he's entrusted to you. We're going to keep reading. Let's jump down to verse 25. This next verse says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, a few months ago, I got this Peloton and I've talked to you guys about how I joined the Peloton cult and I've been riding my Peloton bike again, working on my summer body, trying to get ready for summer and all that that entails. But I've been riding my bike and when I first got the bike, man, I was on it every day and I was working hard and I was pedaling. I was like, I'm getting somewhere. This is great. I can feel it. I can see some changes. And then I got tired and my muscles got a little bit sore. And things started to come up. So every day turned into four times a week and then four times a week turned into two times a week. And then two times a week turned into I'm staring at this bike in the corner of my living room thinking I paid a lot of money for you, but I don't want to use you right now. So I better at least continue to do it two times a week. And now I'm getting back up to four times a week. And I'm trying to work my way back up to using it the way that it's intended. But what happened somewhere in that process? I got tired. Things came up. Things came up that distracted me, that caught my attention. Things began to take priority over me exercising and using self-control the way that I was supposed to on that bike. And when those things came up, I lost my discipline. I lost my self-control. And that's what we do spiritually oftentimes. We'll start off these years in a great pattern. We'll start off in a good way and then we'll say, God, I'm going to spend time with you and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get up early and Lord, I'm going to read your word every day and I'm going to study your word and I'm going to be faithful to it. And then things happen. One day we have a late night and because of that, we're too tired to get up the next morning. And then one day turns into two days and two days turns into three days. And before you know it, you've gone a whole week and your pattern is totally changed now. And now the guilt and the shame kind of creeps in. If you're like me, the guilt and the shame creeps in. and You say, man, God, I failed you again. I can't believe I did this again. This seems to be a yearly thing. And so then we kind of get out of the rhythm altogether because we feel guilty and we're ashamed to kind of go back. That's not what God has called us to. If we're going to run this race, we need to be like the athletes. We need to exercise self-control in all things. We need to train as though we're running for a prize. We need to train like we're going somewhere. Right. And that's what kills us in our summer body journey. And it's also what hurts us in our spiritual journey is that we lose our self-control. We forget that we are heading to a prize. You know, in January, when we get on those diets and we start working out, we're faithful to it until we see a bacon cheeseburger that we want. And then all of a sudden it's like now that cheeseburger is the prize. And so I've given up on trying to get to my goal of where I was getting to physically. And we do the same thing spiritually. You know, we start off the year with all these high intentions and then we get to this point, usually somewhere around summertime, where summertime pleasure becomes the prize. And we lose focus on where we're headed. We lose focus on God's word. We lose focus on connecting with his people. We lose focus on being in church and being the church. And we lose focus on our prayer life because summertime pleasure, vacation and beach and all that stuff becomes the prize. And we put God on the back burner. But God wants us to run this race with discipline like we are running for a prize because he does have a prize for you and he has a prize for me. And we have to run this race like we're trying to get to that prize. Look at what Paul says to his protege, Timothy. If you just flip over a couple of books to First Timothy, we're going to be in chapter four there. First Timothy. And I have to remember it. So we are currently in Corinthians. So you got Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians first and second Thessalonians, and then you'll be in first Timothy. So first Timothy chapter four, and these books are kind of small. So I just flipped past it like three times, but here we go. First Timothy chapter four in verse eight, the apostle Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy, and Timothy is a young man who Paul has taken under his wing, like a mentee. And he's placed uh, Timothy in a position to be the pastor at the church of Ephesus. But Paul is saying, let me impart some things to you. That's what first and second Timothy are about. He's saying, let me impart some things to you that you're going to need to be successful in this journey. In verse 80 says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he's telling Timothy right here, like bodily training, like that summertime, that January thing that we do, getting ready for the summertime, that does hold some value. You need to be healthy. You're going to have to be healthy if you're going to do this well and do this for a long time. But godliness and we miss this point sometimes. Godliness is of great value. See, oftentimes we think about godliness In terms of eternity, like we're just trying to get to heaven and we think to ourselves, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get this glorified body. I'll be godly then. But for now, we just kind of let things go and hope for the best. No, we can't live that way. Godliness is a here and now thing. It's not just a heaven thing. Godliness is about the here and now. And Paul is telling Timothy, yeah, being physically in shape, that's a good thing. But godliness is of so much more importance. You need to be godly in your life. So if we're going to run this race, again, remember how we run matters. That's our big idea, how we run matters. And it says that every runner runs to win a prize. There is a prize for you and there is a prize for me. And that prize comes when we get to be with Jesus. But we have to run this race because how we run matters. And this godliness idea, it's a present day thing. It's a here and now thing. We need to be godly. And that comes back to what we just read in verse 25 a minute ago, that self-control, that self-discipline. We need to have some godly disciplines in our life if we're going to run this race well. And that includes things like meditating on his word, praying, spending time with him, fellowshipping with other believers. And I know fellowshipping is such an old Baptist kind of word, hanging out with other believers, spending time with them. That's how we help one another grow. But we have to have that self-control, that discipline in our lives if we're going to run this race in a way to obtain the prize that God has for us. Now, let's continue reading. Let's flip back over to one Corinthians chapter nine. And we're going to pick back up where we left off in verse 26 and 27. And Paul goes on here. He gives us some ideas of how we can do this, how we can run this race. Well, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I discipline my body. Keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here's what we can do. I'm going to give you just three quick things that you can do to make sure you run this race in a way that you can obtain the prize that God has for you. And Paul lays it out for us here. The first thing he says is that I do not run aimlessly. So the first thing I would say to you is don't run aimlessly, but live intentionally. Live your life with purpose. Live intentionally and intentionality requires a plan. And priorities. So you need to have a plan for your life. You need to have a plan for things, right? And so part of what happens to us when we set out in January and say, hey, I'm going to get to the summer and I'm going to have my summer beach body ready. We usually start off with a plan, but somewhere along the, along the way, we deviate from that plan, right? That's usually what gets us off track. You know, if the plan says, hey, you need to eat this type of diet and you need to work out five days a week. At some point, we get to a point where we only work out four days a week. And then maybe it's three days a week and we start deviating from the plan. And because we get off the plan, we don't get the results we're looking for. And then we get discouraged. And so we stop. Right. But Paul said, I don't run aimlessly. He runs with intentionality, like he has a plan and a purpose, like he is going somewhere. So the first thing that we can do is not run aimlessly, but we can live intentionally. You can live with a plan and on purpose with the purpose that God has given you. And you can prioritize things rightly in your life so that you can do that faithfully. The second thing Paul says is, I do not box as one beating the air. So what I would say to you is, don't box against the air, but fight intelligently. Fight intelligently. And the way that you fight intelligently is in prayer, by exercising discernment, and using wisdom. See, oftentimes when we face a battle, we just start swinging. We just want to punch. We're swinging. We're out here. And we're just going for it. And we can't see what we're fighting because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places. Right. And we can't see them. And so we just start swinging at them with all our might and with all our physical prowess. We swing at them. But the problem is where we really should be fighting is on our knees. And because we don't have the spiritual discipline of prayer nailed down, that's often the last place that we go. But let me ask you a question. If you got one of those offers, and I've seen a lot of them out there lately, you know, the, hey, you can fight Mike Tyson and if you win, you get a million dollars. Right. If that offer was presented to you and you were going to step in the ring with Iron Mike Tyson, would you go into that ring not having having prepared? Would you? Because if so, you know that that fight is going to be over pretty quickly. Now, preparation may look different. Preparation may be, hey, I'm going to go take some boxing classes so I can throw a few punches. Preparation may be. I'm going to train and exercise and get my cardio up so that I can run and stay away from this man because he's crazy. Right. He bite people ears off and stuff I've heard. But he also heard he hits pretty hard. And he has a quote that I absolutely love. And it's everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. But if you were going to step into the ring with Mike Tyson and you knew that punch to the mouth was coming, I'm hoping you would prepare for it. Well, see, the way that we prepare to fight the enemy is through our prayer lives. The way that we prepare to fight Satan is on our knees in prayer. Think about Daniel and the lion's then, and how he prayed faithfully for 21 days and God shut the mouth of the lion and protected him. That's what we have to do, church. We have to be on our knees in prayer. When we fight these battles, whether it's in our home or in our personal life, whether our kids are struggling, maybe our spouse is struggling, maybe you're the one that's struggling, whatever it is, you have to fight that battle in prayer. And we have to pray for one another. That's why us being in community... Is so important because if you're down, if you're struggling, if you're out, I can step in and pray for you. And that's called intercession. I can intercede on your behalf. I can go to God with your petition and say, Lord, my friend over here is struggling. We need your strength. We need your grace. We need your mercy to help them get through this. But we don't need to box as one beating against the air. we got to, like Paul said, don't run aimlessly, live intentionally. Don't box against the air fight intelligently. I need you to learn to pray. And we have to learn to pray fervently and passionately to plead for the things that we need God to do in our lives. Not because he's an uncaring father and doesn't see and doesn't want to help, but because he wants to know that we trust him and that we rely on him to come through with the things that we need. So I want to encourage you to pray and pray your heart out. Pray fervently. Seek God for what you need and watch what God will do in your life as you stop boxing against the air. But you learn to fight intelligently by throwing those blows at the enemy right where they hurt, by sending your heavenly father in to fight that battle for you. But we can fight intelligently by exercising wisdom and by exercising discernment also. And discernment's a big word. It really just means being able to see what's really happening, seeing beyond what you see on the surface. And so I'll give you this example. You know, for those of you who are parents and your your kids get a little bit older, maybe they're teenagers. Sometimes you look at them, and you're like, why are they being so rebellious? And so you start trying to fight them in a physical way. I'm not saying physically throwing blows, but you get physical punishments and you do physical discipline and that kind of stuff. And it seems like nothing seems to be getting through. Discernment is when you can look at that child and say what you're battling is really something spiritual. And I see that. And so I'm going to fight this battle on my knees in prayer. That's where discernment steps in. It also comes in when you're dealing with situations in the outside world. Maybe it's a a coworker that's mean to you, or maybe you're just seeking God about something you need in life and you're going to him and petitioning him and you get in these opportunities. Discernment tells you discernment through the Holy spirit, being led by his spirit tells you which ones are right and which ones are wrong. And that's part of what pastor Brian and I are doing with this church. Like, Lord, we're trying to discern where you're leading us. And that's part of what we're doing. We just had vision Sunday a few weeks ago And we laid out where we feel the Lord is leading. And that came through discernment. Right. So we can fight intelligently by prayer, through wisdom and discernment. Right. The third thing. Excuse me. Excuse me. The third thing that Paul said is in verse 27, he said, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And here's the thing I'll say to you out of that one. The third thing. Don't get disqualified. Be obedient. Don't be disqualified, but run obediently. And in track, if you've ever ran track, I ran track in high school. But if you've ever run track, you have to stay within the lines, right? You're on this track. There's lines that go around the track. And one of the easiest ways to get disqualified is to get out of your lane. And so when Paul is talking about being disqualified here, he's not really talking about losing your salvation. He's not saying that, hey, you're going to get out of your lane and and the Lord is going to be like, you know what? You were saved, but now I'm taking it back. Scripture is pretty clear. We don't lose our salvation. John 10, I believe, is verse 27, where Jesus talked about how all those who have been placed in his hand, that no one could snatch them out of his hand because the father has secured them in his hand. And in Ephesians 1, 13, it talks about how we've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal for the day of salvation. He's our guarantee. That word guarantee means that you're secure. Right. So Paul's not talking about losing your salvation. But Paul is talking about losing some of those rewards. And part of this disqualified thing is when you're not running, when you're not giving the race your very, your all, when you're not running as one who's trying to obtain a prize, one day we're all gonna stand before the Lord and you're gonna think to yourself, man, I could have done so much more with what he gave me. And now I look over here and the Apostle Paul is getting his reward and there's Billy Graham getting his rewards. And look, there's Caleb getting his rewards and Pastor Brian getting his. And Pastor Jay got a couple little crowns over there. Where are my crowns at? My spouse got some crowns and stuff. What's happening here with my rewards? Right. And so what happens is, as we stand there before the Lord that day, we realize we could have given so much more in all that he's called us to do. And we didn't give him our very best. And that's where this whole disqualification thing comes up. You know, Scripture in one point talks about your rewards being tested by fire and being burnt up. Right. And so it's this this disqualification thing. And so I would say to you, don't get disqualified, but run obediently, run obediently, be faithful to his word. And think back to our value of excellence is giving God our very best in obedience to him over time, giving God our very best in obedience to him. Over time, obedience is a key in there. Without that obedience, you're just working hard. It has to be an obedience to what he's called you to do. And so that would be my question for you today is what has God called you to do that you're not being obedient to? That's how you get disqualified is you don't do what he's called you to do. What is he calling you to do? Maybe it's to lead a city home. Maybe it's to step up in that way. Maybe it's to get more involved as we move into a phase where we're going to really launch city kids and to and to start teaching children and that kind of stuff. Maybe it's to show up when we do city impact and do these serve days. Maybe he's calling you to get involved in your normal context. Maybe it's at your workplace. There's some people that he's placed around you and he's called you to be obedient by being a light and being salt in that environment that he has placed you in. What is he calling you to do? That you're not doing. You don't want to get disqualified. So you need to run obediently. Back in high school, I was a three sport star star in my own mind, but we're going to go with it. I was a three sport star. I already told you I ran track, but I also played soccer and I played basketball and each one of those sports had a prize. I remember soccer. Soccer is probably my favorite sport to actually play uh, just because of the, the teamwork of it. You know, when I played ran track track was more of an individual thing. I did do a couple of relays, but, you know, the races I was best at uh, were individual races. But soccer had this team element to it and we were all working for a prize. Right. And as you're working for that prize, there's motivation. Like, I don't want to let my teammates down and I want to make sure I give my very best because I want to hold that trophy. I want to get that prize. I want that patch on my Letterman jacket. I want to I want to have that, you know, MVP or whatever the prize may be. I want that prize. And so I worked out like. Crazy. We would go to soccer practice and then I would go home and run. And then me and my buddy would go to the gym and lift weights and then track season. Same thing. We would do track practice and then I would go home and run. And there were days that we would run and track and then I would go home and run three or four miles. And then me and my buddy, Kerry Daniels, would go down to the gym and we would lift weights after that. My workouts had workouts and I worked out like crazy. And because of it, I was in really good shape like really good shape and I'm a little disappointed right now because I'm thinking back like, man, I was in really good shape. And now I'm like, you know, a chocolate Pillsbury Doughboy. Anyway, get that image out of your head. If you're like me, you just got a mental picture. Sorry about that. Anyway, get that out of your head. Not the point. The point is this. When I had a prize to work for, I worked hard. When I had a prize or a goal in front of me, I gave it my all, whether it was my all and the prize was a team prize or an individual prize. I gave it my all. Then I got out of high school and I stopped playing organized sports. There was no more prize. Well, guess what? No prize equal no motivation. No motivation equal no discipline or self-control. No discipline or self-control equal Jay got out of shape pretty quickly. Right. Because I didn't have that prize anymore. And hear me when I tell you this. I feel like spiritually church. Many of us live this life like there's no prize. We live this life like we have no spiritual prize before us, like we don't see Jesus and eternity in heaven as a prize. It almost feels as though we see comfort and pleasure here on earth as the prize. And we live and we work hard to achieve these earthly pleasures, these earthly treasures, these earthly goods. We work hard at that stuff, but we don't work hard. At the spiritual prize. And I think for a lot of us is because we don't see it. We're so comfortable. We're good with where we are. We don't want to leave. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to even go be with Jesus right now because I'm comfortable where I am. I have nice things and I like my family and there's nothing going on bad around me. I'm just good, God. I just want to be here. I'm just good. And we don't see the real prize. But today we're reading about Paul in 1 Corinthians nine. And we're reading about this man who counted the cost, who gave his all uh, so that he could reach some. He said, I become all things to all men. He talked about how with the Jews he behaved like a Jew and with the Gentiles he took on some of their things. And, And then with the poor he became as one who was poor so as not to offend them or hurt them. He gave up everything. He became all things to all men so that by some means he could reach some. He gave up his comfort because his prize was reaching some. But we're talking about Paul here today. And let's take a look at his perspective on this. And my hope is that his perspective can help us change our perspective. Flip over real quick and we're going to land this plane pretty quickly, but flip over real quick to the book of Philippians. So, again, we're in First Corinthians. So you go Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's just a couple of books over in chapter one. And we're going to read starting in verse 21. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Philippi this time. But he's going to give us some insight on his perspective. And he says this. He says for me or for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desires to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Think about his words. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He saw Christ as the prize. He said that I'm going to stay and I'm going to continue to work because that's for your benefit. That I can see you progress in your faith. So his prize was I'm going to be with Jesus one day. But while I'm here, the prize is seeing others progress in their faith. And I wonder, church, if we live with those as our prizes, how much it would change our actions. See, prizes like that, they will change how you pray. A prize like that will change how you serve. It'll change how you give and it'll change how you live. When our prize is Jesus and our eternal reward in being with him and when our prize is I'm going to reach as many people as I can while I'm here and I'm going to help them progress in their faith. And I'm going to do that faithfully until I go to be with the Lord. When those are your prizes, it changes how you live. It changes how you run this race. When your prize is earthly pleasure, when your prize is a nice house and a nice car, when your prize is comfort, you work hard at those things. But when your prize is one day, I'm going to be with Jesus, my blessed hope. I'm going to be with my savior when your prize is one day, just like I want to get to the summertime for vacation so I can feel the sun on my skin. One day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to feel the radiance of his glory on my skin when that is your prize. And when your prize is that, Lord, as long as you have me here, I'm going to reach as many as I can and bring as many as I can with me. And I'm going to make sure that they grow in their faith and that they have a relationship with you. When that is your prize, it changes how you live. It'll change how all of us live. That's how we live in community with one another because you know what? Now you're my pride. My prize is reaching you. My prize is helping you grow. My prize is guiding you to life in Christ and seeing that relationship develop so that I can take joy in your faith and knowing that we've impacted one another. When we're in community and we worship Jesus, when he's your prize, it changes how you worship. That's why you can throw up your hands and you say, Lord, I love you. You're my prize. I'm living for you in the same way we cheer when we're at sporting events and all of that stuff. We will cheer and praise and worship to our king because he is our prize. He is our prize. It makes me think about the story of Abraham. His name was still Abram and God came to him in Genesis chapter 12 and gave him this great promise that I'm going to make you a father of many nations. But in Genesis chapter 15, verse one, if you read it in the New King James version, God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, don't fear. I am your exceedingly great reward. And sometimes I think we lose sight of the fact that God is our shield and our exceedingly great reward, that he is the prize, that he is the prize that we're running this race to obtain, not that we have to work to get salvation. Salvation is not something that you get through works. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. We read in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. That's not what this is talking about. What he's really talking about is that relationship with the Lord, that godliness that's present here and now, that relationship with him. That's the prize so that you can live out your days on earth, pursuing Christ. And guiding other people to him so that when you stand before him, you'll hear your prize. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What are you doing with what God has given you? Are you investing your talents and bringing that return on investment back to the master? Are you hiding your talent in the ground and just leaving it there, hoping that one day he'll come back to get you? but you haven't done anything with what he's given you. I want to challenge you, church. Let's run this race as though we're trying to obtain a prize. Let's have self-control like the athletes that Paul talked about, have self-control and discipline in all things. Let's not run aimlessly, but let's live intentionally. Let's not box as one beating against the air, but let's fight intelligently. And let's not get disqualified, but let's run obediently. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church, for Seven Cities Church, this church that over the last year that you have brought to fruition, Father, this church that, that started as a dream in my heart and Pastor Brian's heart that started as some notes on pages in our journals, Father, this, this church that started just as, as you putting your heart desire in our hearts and knitting our hearts together and then bringing people around us and knitting all of our hearts together as one, Father God, for imparting this vision into all of us, that we could see that you're at work here and that you're up to something. Father God, I pray that this race that you've given us that's called Seven Cities Church, this race, I pray that we will run it like we're trying to obtain a prize that each person who is a part of this, each person who hears my voice, each person that you've called into this, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be disciplined, to have self-control, Father. Help us to discipline our bodies and keep them under control each and every day. Lest when we preach to others, we ourselves should be disqualified. We don't want that, Father. We want to glorify you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our words. We want to honor you with our actions. We want to live like you're the prize, Jesus and that helping others grow in their faith is the prize so that when we stand before you, we can hear well done, good and faithful servants enter into the joy of your Lord and we can see you in your glory, your awesome majesty and glory. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us for that. I pray that you would draw us to that, that you would help us to to drop the distraction of of the worldly prizes that we so often seek, Father, but that you would show us that you are our shield, in our exceedingly great reward. Father, I pray over each person that hears my voice that you would strengthen them for the race, that you would give them grace for the race, mercy and endurance for the race, so that we can run to obtain the prize that you have for us. And for those of you that don't, for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself, that you would grant them forgiveness, repentance, salvation, and a relationship with you. And Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, happy